Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we are here to talk about things we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we've just had a week. Oh my god. And ugh, just ugh, that's nail biter. Holy shit. Oh my god. I have known Austin for 17 years. And in those 17 years, I have never seen him anxious. Not a single time. And this whole week, I've been like, wait, I have to be the calm one in this situation, which is not a good color on me. It was absurd. Yeah. So the whole week, he was just kind of staring into the abyss. And then when he wasn't, it was everything sucks and I hate everything. And I'm like, yep. Okay. Well, I mean, that's just true. So this has been one hell of a week. That started off with um, Halloween, I guess. Kind of. Yeah. And we had like two kids who stole all the candy. Mm -hmm. Like my mom would have kicked my ass. And then we watched a bunch of really good classic movies, and we decided on election night. Normally, it's like my goddamn Super Bowl. I love election night. Me too. And we've spent the last months, like, you've had to listen to us go on and on, trying to, you know, get people to go out and vote and advocating for this. And we were just, there's nothing more we can do. So we can either watch the results come in and freak out for hours and hours. And also, I mean, we were fully knowing that we we're going to have results until Friday at the mm -hmm. earliest. Or we can watch Friday the 13th, the original one. <laughs> yeah. We and, and Wolf Cop. Yeah, we watched bad horror movies uh, that Friday were the 13th actually pretty is excellent. great. Yeah, so we did the same thing on Halloween. We decided to watch some classic horror, and this time we went with Austin chose Wolf Cop. Yeah. Which is a B-movie. That's exactly what it sounds like. It's a police officer who can transform into a werewolf, and it's actually surprisingly good. Um, the, the cop's name was Lou Garou. Yeah. If you remember from our werewolf episode, which was, was that last week? Two weeks ago? That was for for whenever Halloween was. Stuff like that came Time up. has no meaning. Time like, has no meaning. Zero. Um, and then we watched Friday the 13th. Uh, we've kind of gone back and forth on like classic horror movies that we've respectively missed. And I had not seen Friday the 13th. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Like I did not like it was twists and turns. I'm not going to give it away because if you're like me and you haven't seen it, I'm not going to do that to you. But it's worth it. And so next up, we have The Omen. Yeah. And we have Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. And, and I'm going to force him to rewatch Rosemary's Baby because I've never seen it. Also, um, once we've done Nightmare on Elm Street, we are going to watch Freddy vs. Jason because it is campy and stupid and it is by no means a good movie and I love it. So I'm, I know you guys are not here to listen to our movie reviews, but... That was like the best choice we could have made on election night, knowing that there was nothing else we could do. So we highly recommend that if you are getting hyper stressed out, find a classic movie you haven't watched yet. One of those that's part of the cultural zeitgeist. And that way at the end, not only will you gotten to watch a movie, but you'll feel more like you know what's going on when people talk. Kind of like that episode of, uh, of Friends where Joey buys the encyclopedia because he was tired of just sitting at the uh, at his friend's table and not knowing what was going on. But of course, then he bought the V and he just want to talk about, you know, vulcanized rubber. <laughs> don't buy an encyclopedia. That's what the internet is in, for. Um, or in, don't buy an encyclopedia. Encyclopedia. Ted. So where we are this week, though, at the moment, Joe Biden is the, I don't think he's officially the president-elect, technically. He's the presumptive president-elect. Mm -hmm. And that means Kamala Harris is the presumptive vice president-elect. I'm so happy. So we have yet another old white guy, but we have somebody who is female and of mixed race coming in as VP, which is pretty exciting. I know. And 
yeah, just hopefully we are both very anxious at this point. I posted on my Facebook, you know, me, oh, thank God, also me, it's still 2020, so don't get too comfortable. And then I had a gif of King George Hamilton saying, what comes next? <laughs> That's kind of how I feel right now is I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, which maybe it's just me being pessimistic and a little ground down at the moment. But at the same time, at least I won't be unprepared. Yes. Because we still have until January 20th. Yeah, we do. Oh, boy. But, you know, things are better right now than they were a week ago. And hopefully as of January 21st, things will be better than they were today. Yeah. And good work getting out there and voting, everybody. Excellent work. And especially thank you, Georgia. Thank you, Georgia. I... Thank you, Arizona. Thank you, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Stacey Abrams and all of the people who are organizing and working with her to get voters out in Georgia. Especially, that was I did not expect Georgia to flip. I did. I did. And Austin was like, it's not going to flip. And I was looking at him going, at this moment, he just needs to be validated in this. So that's also something to be aware of, guys. Don't just try to encourage somebody to feel better if you get the idea that that's not what they need at that moment. Sometimes people just need to feel bad for a little while. But I was like, Georgia's going to flip. In my head, I kept saying, Georgia's going to flip. But if I say that to Austin and it doesn't flip, he'll be even more upset. But I knew it. I knew it was going to flip. And if you are turning 18, I think before the end of this year, but it might be before December, in Georgia, you can vote in the runoff election that is definitely going to happen. Do so. Do so. Yes, please. I mean, you get this like, you get like a do-over if you're turning 18. You don't get to do-over on the uh, presidential election, but you get to do-over on some really important ones. Yeah. Local elections matter, guys. And I that will come up both, uh, a lot of this will come up in my, my part of the episode today. Oh, it's nothing election related comes up in mine. Well, yeah, mine maybe, in... a, maybe a little bit if you're really, you know, pessimistic like me. <laughs> mine ended up being more pertinent than I expected it to be. Ooh. Yeah. So you want to get started? Uh, I go first this week? You go first this week. All right. So like many things in my life, today's episode was inspired by a meme. I don't know if you all saw this, but there was a meme going around that was for Kam Kamala Harris, and it had a bunch of little emojis of old men. And then it had a, you know, a woman of color as the last one. The goal of it is, of course, to say, look how she's different from her predecessors. But on the accurate versions of it, so there's one going around that I, I still loved, but the last one had a fly on its head, but all the other ones were white. But on the more accurate one, you'll notice that there's one that's got slightly darker skin. And I was like, well, that's weird because we never heard about anything like that. And they wouldn't just do that because someone was tan. So I counted back and tiny emojis are really hard to count, especially on your phone. But I got to 31. And then I went to Google and typed in 31st vice president and Mike Pence came up and I'm like, that's wrong, Google. But I eventually did find it. And his name is Charles Curtis. I have never heard of Charles Curtis. Which is upsetting because he's from Kansas. What? There's like three famous people from this state. Paul Rudd. Rob Riggle. Rob Riggle. There's a, I can, I can keep going. Mandy Patinkin went to case, uh, can, uh, University of Kansas. Ooh. Yeah, I went to KU for one year and his photo was up in the, uh, the green room. Yeah, so there's like a handful of famous Kansans. Eric Stone Street. And, oh God, the guy whose name I can remember who was, he's another Science Live kind of dupe. I don't think he was on Science Live. Yeah, we got some actors from here. There's actually a few politicians. One of them is in here as well, who becomes kind of important. But I mean, there's always politicians from here. Yeah. But I'm assuming, because I, I did not fully grow up in Kansas. I kind of moved in and out. I'm assuming you had a full year, at least a semester of Kansas history. Yeah, there was big chunks of Kansas history. And then when I came back and got my first job after college, which was that as a uh, English as a Second Language aide, I'm saying um and uh a lot tonight. I think I'm just a little worn out from this week. So we both are. Enjoy, folks. I was in a class that did a full year of Kansas history, not once did the fact that we had a vice president from here come up 
especially that until now, anyway, we had the only vice president who wasn't white from Kansas. Wow. So not only was he not white, and I didn't even notice this at first, when they've talked about Kamala Harris on reputable news sources and when she talks about herself, they've never said that she is the first mixed race or biracial vice president. They've always been very specific that she is the first black and Indian American president. Now, I've seen a couple of less reputable news sources say the first biracial uh, vice president, SNL did that, but otherwise they've been really specific and I don't think any of us noticed. Yeah. Because she's not the first mixed race vice president and he was white and Native American. Ooh. Yeah. So depending on what source I looked at, I'll include all of my sources in the in the show notes. He was anywhere from one quarter to one half Native American. Apparently, at some points, he himself would say he was one eighth, but that doesn't track at all with any of the information because, and we'll learn more about this later a little bit, he kind of altered it based on his political needs at the moment. There are white people today who claim I'm half Native American, I'm a quarter, I'm an eighth, but they have nothing to back it up. That was not the case with him. His mother was, depending on the source, again, she was definitely Ka or Kanza. I've I've seen them both used. I've seen Ka used more. And she was possibly Osage and Potawatomi as well. She was also a known descendant of the Ka chief White Plume, who helped Lewis and Clark and ceded millions of acres of land to the U.S. government. On the flip side, she was also probably a descendant of Osage chief Pahuska, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, who basically did the opposite thing and caused the worst defeat of U.S. forces by the Native Americans. I haven't even heard of this. No. Uh, And he also, in addition to knowing for a fact that this was his heritage, he spent a lot of his childhood on a reservation. So that also technically means that at the time he was not an American citizen, or at least his parents and grandparents weren't. And Kansas at the time was not a state. So he was also not from a state. He is the last vice president and last, I believe, major office holder to be from a territory. Wow. Mm -hmm. So he is from, he spent most of his childhood on the Kaw Reservation in Council Grove, which is about 40 miles south of Manhattan, which is where K-State is, if you know what sports are, which I do not. Holy, okay. I've actually been to Council Grove on Mm -hmm. a school field trip. Mm -hmm. Still didn't hear about this guy. Uh, And then his dad was named Orrin Curtis, who was white. His mom was Native American and also part white. And I'm going to read you the grossest thing I've ever read to describe his parentage. Oh. Or at least describe his mother. This was a 1926 Time magazine profile. In the blood of this man was the Frenchman, the Indian, and the Yankee. To be exact, seven sixteenths French, one sixteenth Indian, eight sixteenths Yankee. Many years ago, when the 19th century was an infant, a comely daughter came to White Plume, chief of the Caw tribe in Kansas. She was the great-grandmother of Senator Charles Curtis. She married a swashbuckling young Frenchman named Conville, who had hammered down the stakes near St. Louis. Their daughter married Louis Papin, a French trader, from which wedlock sprang the mother of the senator. Comely. Uh, That word is just icky. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like you put come hither as someone's personality or full existence. It's icky. Yeah. So for the first three years of his life, he lived with his mother, who taught him French and Kanza. Uh, in fact, he spoke both of those languages before he learned English. But when he was three, she died, and he moved in with his grandparents on the Ka Reservation. 
He then moved to Topeka to live with his father's parents as his mother's parents were afraid they would no longer be considered part of the reservation if they were off of it for too long. There was so much wonky legislation happening right then. So they were afraid they wouldn't be allowed back. They wouldn't be allowed. They wouldn't be given. They were afraid they wouldn't be allowed to get further government settlements, government compensations, all kinds of stuff was happening. So they dropped him off with his other grandparents. They did get a spot back on the reservation. This might have been a similar spot to where they lived first. It was kind kind of fuzzy. The government set this up. They had a reservation spot that was just for full Native Americans. And then they had the one, the spot that was for people who were part Native American and part not. They called it the half-breeds section. Uh. Yep. Way to go. Way to go, American government. Keep it classy. So you might be wondering where his dad is. Well, after his wife died, he did get married. He got divorced again. The Civil War began and he joined the Union Army. He was dishonorably discharged. And as soon as the war was over and they had time to focus on why he was dishonorably discharged, he was court-martialed because he hanged three prisoners. Wow. He was sentenced to a year's hard labor, but was pardoned within a month because it's just murder. It sounds like his dad was a bit too chaotic for parenthood overall, so he spent a year with his paternal grandparents, and then he went back to live with his other grandparents on the reservation now that they were settled in. By his account, Curtis's account, he really loved living on the reservation because he could speak Kanza already. He fit in in well. He made friends. Some of the way other sources described it was very racist, but... He was overall, he was a kid having a kid time. However, it was an entirely happy place. Uh, The reservation had been hit really badly by smallpox. It had rampant alcoholism. And of course, the white settlers were there and trying to constantly take it over. His father was also trying to get hold of the land that belonged to his mother. And remember, by this time, he's gotten remarried and divorced again already. So even less of a handle on it. But by Ka matrilineal law, Charles was entitled to it. So his grandparents fought so that this little toddler could get all this land. And they won because fuck that guy. Good for you. Then on June 1st, 1868, so Charles is now eight years old, Cheyenne warriors invaded the reservation. Charles volunteered to travel to Topeka to let people there know what was happening. That's, you know, the central seat of government and they needed to know. Now, he says that he walked to Topeka, which is about 60 miles away. Several sources, however, say that he rode there on a horse with an interpreter named Joe Jim. I couldn't find a definitive answer in either direction. So he's saying one thing. All these other sources are saying something else, which goes back to what's true and what's a political statement. Either way, he became a bit of a celebrity because regardless, he's a six, an eight-year-old who went 60 miles to go save his people. He got the nickname Indian Charlie, which actually he was called things like that for most of his childhood and the things that he did. He did not consider it an insult until later on in his life when it was used as an insult. At this point, he looked at it as kind of a term of endearment. And remember, times were different then. Yeah. But by the time he got there, because it was the whole battle lasted about four hours, the Cheyenne were got away with a few horses and a peace offering. Nobody got hurt. But that's when he moved back to Topeka with his paternal grandparents. One source said that his paternal grandparents were very judgmental about the fact that he was allowed to do that because clearly that meant he was not civilized. But by all accounts, it kind of sounds like his grandparents were pretty okay with each other. So who knows? There wasn't much about them actually interacting, but it sounds like his grandmothers at least were on the same page about what he needed to do. So as he grew up in Topeka, he became a jockey, a horse jockey. He became well known because he was he was really good at it, having grown up on the reservation and learned to ride bareback and just being really comfortable on horses. He was then called the Indian Boy. And he actually made a lot of money for gamblers and for prostitutes who would bet on him. His best buddies at the time were largely the prostitutes. <laughs> and he actually was talking about the time a madam bought him like an entirely new set of clothes 
And his exact quote was, I had never been so petted in my life and I liked it. So he was getting like this positive attention from (laughs) probably pretty girls. And his grandmother, though, wasn't too happy with this. Now, grandmothers are usually very upset when you're talking to prostitutes. So when he was 16, he was offered a contract to race at the Philadelphia Centennial, which basically would have made him a career jockey. She put her foot down and said, no, you're done. You need to go get an education. And his other grandmother was like, yeah, you need to go get an education. So he dropped out of being a horse jockey and enrolled in high school at 16. (laughs) When his grandfather died, he was ready to go spend the rest of his life on the reservation. But his grandmothers, again, were both like, no, you're going to get an education. So he said, I mounted my pony. And this is where it gets kind of confusing because he seems to say in the same sentence that he was currently living on the Kaw Reservation and that he was living in Topeka. But I mounted my pony with my be- and with my belongings in a flower sack, returned to Topeka and school. No man or boy ever received better advice. It was a turning point in my life. Being, being told, you can get an education and we expect you to. So he went back. He lived with his dad's mom in Topeka again, where she kept telling him about how amazing Republicans are. So you can kind of see which party he's going to end up. And he worked as a custodian and a horse-drawn carriage taxi driver. And in that time, many of his customers were lawyers and they would talk to him about the law and he got interested in it. So he began to study law. Now, I don't mean he went to law school. I mean, he read law, which means he literally read law books. And at 21, he was allowed to go take the bar exam because things were different then. And he passed the bar exam at 21. Wow. And became a lawyer with his own practice. (laughs) He worked in real estate law and in criminal law. And a few years later, in 1884, he married his wife, Annie Elizabeth Baird. They had three children, Pramelia, Henry, also went by Harry, and Leona. And they took in his half-sister from his father's from his father's third marriage, Dolly, when her mother died. Could not tell what happened to Oren. Don't care what happened to Oren. He is a murderer. That same year, he became the Shawnee County attorney after making sure to introduce himself to literally every constituent in the district. Wow. That becomes kind of a theme in his life. He makes sure that everybody knows him and he knows everybody. He was especially supported by the liquor interests, as both his father and grandfather had had saloons in North Topeka. But he pulled a switcheroo after being elected and enforced the state's liquor laws, which meant prohibition. Oh, that's so right. So he shut down. Is... He shut down the saloons. That's right. After this is getting Kansas. after getting financial and other support from the liquor industry. <laughs> In 1889, he lost the nomination for the U.S. House of Representatives by one vote. Oh. Now, I'm not saying he deserved to win it, because you'll find out why in a minute, especially even after that switcheroo. But one vote, guys. Today, even now, that is what can decide an election. One vote. So don't just vote in presidential years. Vote every time you can vote. Every time. Even if it's like a, what flavor milkshake should we make next? Go ahead and vote in that, too. Just to be sure. Oh, yeah. So this... He lost because he was seen as a conservative, and given the agrarian depression that was happening at the time, people were turning toward more and more progressive candidates who might be able to turn things around. But in 1892, so three years later, he was running as a Republican, and he got a seat in the House. Meanwhile, Kansas elected a populist governor and voted for the populist presidential candidate, which is a party that existed at the time. So he was kind of a coup in that because the Republicans should not have won in a state that went populist for pretty much everything else. But apparently he he was. He was good looking. He was charming. Everybody liked him. He was one of those people who could manipulate a crowd. Even if they were like raging and screaming, he could calm them down. So people liked him. So they voted for him. One of those guys you could go have a beer with, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So he was the fourth Native American in the House, and he actually served with two of his predecessors during his term. 
I already mentioned that that meant Native Americans were not citizens at that time. But an interesting thing here is he had to rejoin the Kaw Nation at some point. So I'm kind of wondering, because I couldn't find anything about this, maybe he dropped being a member of the Kaw Nation for a while so he could run for office. That is just me speculating wildly because I yeah. couldn't find anything about why he had to rejoin. Maybe maybe it's like he just hadn't been there for a while, so they dropped. I don't know. I don't he, know. Was he not paying his dues? Were there dues? I... He had to rejoin because the Kaw Nation was eventually shut down by the U.S. government and he needed to get the land back. Um... Yeah, we decided that these people didn't exist. We're super cool. Oh, yeah. So he arrived in Washington and Cleveland was the president at the time. The House was extremely Democrat. But then a depression hit in 1893 and people turned against the Democrats saying that they were the empty dinner pail party. So the Republicans got a ridiculous hold on Congress at that point. Tom Reed was the speaker when this changed, and he went out of his way to get Charles's advice. The story that's most often told about this time was that when they were discussing the restoration of the gold standard, and the committees were just fighting and fighting and fighting, we're never making a decision, Reed said to him, Indian, what would you do about this? Because again, we were super racist and everything was acceptable. Charles said that they should just get rid of these committees and make a new one. Which again, I, I don't know, mean again to anybody in the podcast, this is just me complaining from earlier. Why would you keep the situ situation that's not working when there's an easel, easy solution if you just pick a different lane? And they're like, oh, we never thought about making this simple. Let's do that. So that's what they ended up doing to restore the gold standard. But the gold standard was bad. Uh, we don't we don't think about things. However, most of his efforts were spent working on the Committee of Indian Affairs. For this, he drafted an act for the protection of the people of the Indian Territory and for other purposes, or the Curtis Act. This might be why we don't talk about him. Oh. But I also think that we should talk about him because we can't just ignore parts of history because we don't like it. Yeah. And also, this is not as neat as it as it looks on the surface. So this act, it broke up the tribal governments and their lands of the five civilized tribes of Indian territory, the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Muscogee, Cherokee, and Seminole, who had previously been exempted from the Dawes Act which was the one before this. They lost about 90 million acres of their land and lost more later. The Dawes Commission, not the tribes, also got to determine who were members of the tribes after this. These changes ultimately allowed Oklahoma to become a state, but they effectively took all power away from the tribes themselves. It did allow tribal residents to vote for city officials, not national ones, because it was still a territory and not a state. But if you go back to my episode about election rights, voting rights, you'll see that that's not really what happened. So even the, during this, the Cherokee sent people to Washington to be like, hey, guys, we want to talk about this. We want to let you know why this is bad. They weren't allowed in. But corporate representatives wanted it, were allowed in. Of course. So not much has changed. So at first glance, you're like, wow, fuck that guy. When we're in school, when we talk about bills and amendments and all that, we talk only about the final version and act like that was the only version that ever happened. Like we talked several episodes ago about how the original Constitution, maybe it was the Bill of Rights, I think it was the Constitution, was like, hey, let's get rid of slavery. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. This was the fifth version of the Curtis Act. And by his account, it was unrecognizable to him. This was not the act that he had written. Yet for the rest of history, his name is attached to the thing that destroyed what was left of the Native American civilization after we'd already fucked with it so much. Oh, God. For the rest of history, he will be associated as a Native American person with the thing that destroyed the Native Americans. Oh, that's got to suck. However... <laughs> Because nothing can also, nothing can be clean in either direction, right? The original version, 
Intended to provide mainstream education to tribes. Okay, I can see it. Wanting to keep people on like an equal footing and help them assimilate because he thought assimilation was the key to survival for Native American people. Oh, no. Now, that is definitely him speaking from a place of privilege because he had people in his family who accepted him both on the reservation and not. So he didn't have the struggles that people who were only from one side of that would have. But he also credits his grandmother from the reservation with all of these ideas. It's kind of like me saying, because I'm a woman, I understand all women and I'm going to make laws for all women and I am not going to talk to any other women. It's like I, you say it like every morning. You say, I am every woman. It's all in me. Anything you want done, baby, I'll do it naturally. <laughs> So the revision changed from his intent to giving Oklahoma statehood, though, which was not his goal. I don't know if he had an opinion on Oklahoma getting statehood or not, but in his autobiography, which you can find at the Kansas Historical Society and nowhere else, because it's handwritten and no one has scanned it and no one has typed it up, it's just handwritten and sitting over there. He said, I was not happy with how it turned out. So in my heart of hearts, I really want to believe that by assimilation, he didn't mean they must become white. It was something like, I want to help them be able to like cross these barriers because white people aren't going to do it. I want to believe that. I don't know because the original draft does not exist. You can't go back and read it and find out what he actually meant. I don't mean maybe if I went to like the National Archives or something, maybe it's somewhere in there. It's possible. But it was not available anywhere on the internet. So I don't know what he meant by assimilate. And there's no way we're going to Topeka. Like even like outside of pandemic, just you just don't go to Topeka. You don't man. go to Topeka. It's like there's nothing in Topeka. I had my first ever full-blown panic attack in, in Topeka. Ooh, I was up in the Capitol building and they have, you know, the dome. We didn't go all the way up into the dome, but we were like at the top level before you got there because it was under renovations. That dome has been under re renovations our entire life. Well, the barrier between you and this massive drop is about knee height. And there were boys in my class who were climbing up on it and hanging over the edge because the teachers apparently didn't care. And my friends were going too close to the edge. And I ended up on the floor in a ball hyperventilating. Because I am terrified of heights. And that is not the only time that's happened to me at a high situation. Austin has never been around me when I've been at a really tall place. I've like driven with you on bridges and you are panicking at that. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's another time we, I went to the Plaza Lighting Ceremony. My friends and I went onto the roof because it was the only place we could find to watch it. And they both remembered that all of a sudden and decided to pretend to jump off. I ended up on the ground hyperventilating, holding onto both of their shirts so they wouldn't do it. Aww. Yeah. I have a couple of very specific phobias, and up high and moths are pretty much the two biggies. Which is weird because Mothman is your boyfriend. I am and he literally is up wearing high and wear and a moth. I, well, Mothman would not let me fall. Mothman loves me too much. <laughs> he never let go. He also looks like a bat and not a moth, and he's here to warn us about bad things that are going to happen. So there's no way I could fall off of a cliff if Mothman is there. He's your there logic to tell me. Perfectly. He's there to tell me, hey, if you go farther, you're going to fall. But he's also there to say, I have wings and I'll catch you. So we're good either way. This is a Chuck Tingle novel waiting to happen. Jesus Christ. Like, if you ever grow wings and can tell the future, Austin, I might love you more than I love Mothman, but we're not there yet. All right, I'm going to start, I don't know, being bitten by radioactive moths. See what happens. The one thing we do know, of course, is that he wanted to make sure that they had mainstream schools and he wanted to bring schools to the reservations, which is not what ultimately ended up happening. 
And I don't know how much of a say he had in any of that, because if you ever studied what happened with Native American children in education, it was not what he intended based on anything I read, because what they did end up doing was dragging them off the reservations, putting them in boarding schools, changing their names and making them become exactly like perfect little non-white white white children. It was bad. It was real bad. And I, I very much don't think that's what he meant. No. Can't be sure. Yeah. Uh, when he was in the White House, I already mentioned the Caw Allotment Act when he got he rejoined the Caw Nation and got his land. He served as a senator from 1907 after this and again from 1915 to 1929. During this time, he served as the president pro tempore, tempore, I don't know, uh, as the chairman of several committees, the Senate Majority Whip and the Senate Majority Leader. Wow. Yeah. It'd be impressive for anybody to do all of that. But remember, this is 1907 to 1929 and he's not white. He was able to work well with people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Idaho Senator William Bora said that he was, quote, a great reconciler with a uh, great one. Idaho Senator William Bora said he was, quote, a great reconciler, a walking political encyclopedia and one of the best political poker players in America, unquote. He was basically able to patch things up constantly. No matter what was going wrong, he was the one who could fix them. He wasn't known for giving big speeches, but he had a credit, a, not a credit card, a index card box that he had with him. Every single person he met while he was in office or while he was campaigning got a card. If you kind of think of it like Michael Scott's Rolodex on The Office, where it's, you know, name, confirmation, and some pertinent details about them, except it got Dwight in trouble because there was like stuff that you weren't supposed to say out loud, but you just knew. <laughs> That's not what happened with his, but he had the name, information, and some basics remembering stuff about every person he met. I don't just mean politicians. I mean teachers and random people who asked him questions on the campaign trail. And he prided himself on writing everybody back, whoever wrote him a letter, a grievance, anything. He prided himself on answering them himself and answering them quickly. So we've got these really good things happening where he's actively like making sure he knows his constituents. Which is why he ends up getting, you know, he keeps getting elected because they know that he knows who they are. And I don't know if that's, that sounds way creepy when you say it like that, though. It's like, man, if I don't vote for him, Charles Curtis is going to be outside my window just staring in, judging <laughs> me, taking away my rights. <laughs> However, you know, he made this point of getting to know everybody personally. But he also, during this time, tried to ban the use of peyote, which is used in religious ceremonies for Native American people. What? Why? Because he was a prohibitionist. I don't think it had anything to do with Native Americans. It was, well, if I'm going to ban liquor, I have to ban this too. Uh, that didn't pass. They got okay. to keep their peyote. And then here's a big thing that just makes me think, okay, fine. We're pissed off about this. We're not going to teach him. Except he did one really, really important thing that actually gets discussed in schools. And he's, if he's mentioned, he's breezed over, but I don't remember him getting mentioned. I don't even remember this part of it getting mentioned, even though it's important. He and another Kansan. Representative Daniel Reed Anthony Jr. proposed the first version of the Equal Rights Amendment. What? In 1923. The women who were like petitioning it, you know, they were going to different politicians being like, will you put this forward? No. Will you put this forward? No. And then these two Kansans were like, fuck yes, we will. Absolutely. It's crazy how like progressive Kansas was until we stopped drinking. I actually, no, it was Brownback. We were actually fairly progressive until the late 90s, early 2000s. I was doing some research on it earlier today. Um, I read an article that was called something like, after, um, with Brownback, people fear we've lost 100 years of progress. And they were going through like all the things Kansas has done over the last 100 years that have been progressive. And they're like, they were talking to farmers like, we're really afraid that this guy's going to set us back to 100 years ago. Look what happened. Yeah, we're lucky if it's only going to be 100 years. We ended up with constitutionally underfunded schools. And shockingly, his nephew is a goddamned teacher. Kept the last name and everything. I was in a class with him. 
yeah, these dudes put this forth first. And really, it goes back to, we didn't even really learn about this happening until they actually started making any kind of progress. He was also the one, by some sources, he was the main person to push for the 19th Amendment. He was, according to some core sources, he led the debates for it. And he was the one who moved the timeline up to get women the right to vote faster. What? Why don't we learn about this guy? I know. And I think it's because it's kind of like we don't learn about Alexander Hamilton because he did something really shitty. So we're going to pretend that he didn't do anything else. Oh, man. And there's zero arts funding in Kansas. He's never going to get a musical to redeem himself. Well, I mean, I guess. we. I mean, we could always write it. But, but also, I'm not sure that there's... <sighs> There is not enough information available without us going to Topeka to go to the museum, the library, I think there's a library, and the historical society to decide if there's enough for a new musical to even happen. We can just make shit up. I mean... I mean, not not that Lin-Manuel Miranda did that. He did, but... Oh, and he admits he did. Oh, yeah. It's like, you gotta tell a good story. Yeah. You Sometimes you gotta, that means... You gotta figure out what the balance is. And honestly, if you think that any nonfiction entertainment is fully nonfiction, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Like I've said repeatedly, Hamilton and The Greatest Showman and all that, opportunities to learn, not textbooks. Anyway, so this dude introduced the first Equal Rights Amendment and it was shot down, but he is a big part of why the 19th Amendment even happened. And we never talk about him. So it comes down to, do we not talk about him because he was Native American and fucked over his own people intentionally or unintentionally because we'll never know? Or do we not talk about him because he's Native American? End of sentence. So who is he vice president for? Oh, I'll get to that. Okay. Oh, I'm excited. Remember when I walked out of the out of the room earlier and I was like, Austin, Austin, Austin. Yeah. You ready for a clusterfuck? Because that's what's about to happen. Ooh. That's, that's what's going to happen here. And actually... That's what's right here. Yes, I'm good at this. In 1928, the Republican National Convention was held in Kansas City, Missouri. Coolidge had announced he wasn't running for re-election, so Curtis actually decided to run for president. Herbert Hoover got the nomination. But this is where things get messy as fuck. Like, not as bad as things are right now, but similar. First, people were so mad that Coolidge wasn't running that they started a draft Coolidge movement. To try to force him to take the nomination again. He actually got a few votes to become the Republican nominee, despite him saying, I do not choose to run for president again. Well, that didn't work. So Hoover was the expected candidate. But about a week before the Republican National Convention, Curtis was like, oh, fuck this. We're not having this happen. He formed an anti-Hoover movement, saying that Hoover was a man, quote, for whom the party will be on the defensive front the day he is named until the close of the polls on election day. So basically, you'll have to be defending your choice as long as he's around. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it kind of does. Mm-hmm. So he started this anti-Hoover movement. They called it the Alliance. It was him, Senator Guy Goff, James Watson, and Illinois Governor Frank Loudon, all of whom ran against Hoover. And it didn't seem to be one of us wants to win. It's we just need Hoover to lose. When it became obvious that Hoover was going to win, Goff tried to drop out and the others were like, you can't drop out. We have to take as many votes away from him as possible, because this is when you still just needed a clear majority over 50 percent as opposed to just a majority. So the biggest one to fight against Hoover was Curtis. The New York Times, when reporting on the convention in 1928, said, quote, Senator Curtis is another mentioned as a good balance to the Hoover ticket. If he had not issued an emphatic anti-Hoover statement Sunday, he probably would be acceptable to Hoover forces. 
meaning he might have had a shot if he hadn't gone out there and said such shit about Hoover. But according to another article, it was true. Everything he said was true. (laughs) Everything was, you know, Hoover is going to fuck you over. Hoover's going to do this. And all of it was true. But it was so angry that the people from the Hoover side who might have turned to his side didn't. Which is kind of like the Bernie bros saying, oh, you know, yeah. well, I'm not going to vote for him because he's not Bernie. Anyway, I'm, like, I'm a Bernie fan. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm still going to vote for who's not going to kill everybody. Yeah. Just a thought. Um, so finally, a newspaper said to him, like, you know that you're the best candidate for VP, right? And he, quote, grows white with anger and insists that he is still in the contest for the presidential nomination. It was abundantly clear to him those around him that while he would support the Republican ticket, this is more, uh, sorry, this is where I meant to put the Bernie Rose thing. He would support the Republican ticket. He would never support Hoover. So it's basically an, if I have to, I'll vote for him, but I really don't like that guy, which is, so he's the Bernie bro here. I got, I, my, I move stuff around in my brain because it's like, you know, Biden was neither of our first choice. Yeah. We don't just, we don't hate him, but he was yeah. neither of our first choice, but we're also not going to be like, well, I'm mad. So I'm still going to vote for Elizabeth Warren. I didn't get exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Even though Kamala Harris was exactly what I wanted. So I'm pretty okay with this. Yeah. She was like my 17th choice. I love her. She... I can't get over the school truancy thing. Oh, it's. That's one mistake. Everything else is pretty That's good. one mistake that ruined a lot of kids' lives. Every politician's made one mistake that's ruined a lot of kids' lives. Yeah, but none of most of them aren't as blatant about the kids as hers. I, I mean, I'm sure I'll get over it. I did download her autobiography. I'm working on it. I don't actively hate her like I do with certain other people. Betsy DeVos. Mm-hmm. See, that's my thing is I really want to see, like, I think the way Kamala Harris could redeem herself in my eyes is if she had a say in who became the Secretary of Education and picked a really good one. You. I mean, I'm better than most of the ones they've chosen. Because I think they need to have somebody who was a recent classroom teacher and not an admin. Because if you have not been in the classroom actively in 10 years, you don't know what the fuck is happening. I think I am actually a better choice than the current Secretary of Education. And I know nothing about education. A piece of wet lettuce is a better choice than Betsy DeVos. The centaurs that will carry her off is a are better actually, choices. Actually, the piece of wet lettuce would be a great choice because that would be so appealing to the turtle Mitch McConnell. <laughs> He's like, oh, I want that wet lettuce. It's like, well, you better pass some health care reforms. Oh, that's another thing. Why on earth would we steal the presidential election and not the Senate election? Yeah, it's like, why would we, if we were stealing elections, Mitch McConnell would not still be in office. If we had to choose between stealing the presidency and stealing the Senate, we're stealing the goddamn Senate. Yeah. But we didn't because we don't steal anything. And it's, you can't like election fraud on that scale. It's stupid to think it's actually happening. Unless the Russians are doing it. And that would say a lot about how much Russia has like, how much Trump has pissed off the world if Russia got involved. It's like, let's get rid of that guy. Okay, back to the thing from, you know, the early 1900s. So in the end, Hoover got 837 votes and alliance members Loudon got 74, Curtis got 64 and Watson got uh, 45, Goff got 18. So Curtis actually came in third in the Republican ticket. Um, I couldn't access the book itself, but Wikipedia says that H.L. Minkin said Curtis was, quote, the Kansas comic character who is half Indian and half windmill. So I'm imagining lots of hand gestures, but I'm not sure. Charlie ran against Hoover with great energy and let fly some very embarrassing truths about him. But when the Hoover managers threw Charlie the vice presidency as salatium, he shut up instantly and a few days later was hemming his late bugaboo as the greatest statesman since Pericles. (laughs) Told you, this dude is like, this dude plays the political game. So Curtis became Hoover's vice presidential nominee. 
despite literally forming an alliance against him. <laughs> this is still when you voted for them separately. But uh, they won a landslide. He arranged for a Native American jazz band to be at the inauguration. He decorated his office with a Native American artifact. He was 69 years old when he took office, making him the second oldest VP in history. He was the first VP to take the oath on a Bible. And he was the first to hire a woman to be his secretary, which was Lola M. Williams from Columbus, Kansas. But, because things just can't go well when you're talking about politics, except for maybe, I just blanked on his name, that vice president I had a whole episode about a while. Walter Mondale. Walter Mondale. Again, no scandals there. But, so, he's believed to have used his Native American identity when it suited him. There's evidence that, depending on the situation, he would choose which side to identify with. And the intentions of his office decor were therefore questionable. Now, this may sound like kind of judgmental and racist, except he said himself that he went from, quote, the cod teepee to the capital. This dude was actually very wealthy and had a major inheritance from the time he was young and never lived in a teepee or any kind of... He always had an education. He always had resources. So he himself was giving sway to the stereotype that the rest of the white people had. Um, his wife had died in 1924. So his half-sister Dolly took on the role of second lady for all intents and purposes. He is the only vice president to have been in, been unmarried for his entire term. Wow. This also led to him being in a fight with Alice Roosevelt Longworth. <laughs> Yes, Alice Roosevelt was a badass. Uh, she was Theodore Roosevelt's daughter, and he felt that Dolly should be, like, when protocol says what order people are in, he said that because Dolly was acting as second lady, she belonged ahead of Alice Roosevelt because her husband was House Speaker at the time, Nicholas Longworth. So normally it would be, you know, vice president and then his wife and then the House Speaker and then his wife. Um, so Allison, he got into a fight because she wasn't his wife. So why she should be second? He was like, because she acts in that role. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> Although I think he probably said it nicer than that. I didn't know Alice could be very forceful. Mm -hmm. It's like one of my favorite Theodore Roosevelt quotes, and there's a lot of them. And this one's not about Bigfoot. This was him saying, it's like, I can either, it's like, I can either manage Alice or I can manage the presidency. I cannot do both. <laughs> I've thought about doing a whole episode on her, but hasn't it hasn't come to fruition yet. Uh, then the Depression started. He advocated at the beginning of the Depression for a five-day work week without lowering pay, which is also what the unions were fighting for. Yeah. Which is, you know, not exactly what happened. No. He also, though, is the one who actually said, you've probably heard Hoover said this, good times are just around the corner, which is what sealed Hoover's fate in the end was it felt, felt like it was flippant and mocking what was happening. Hoover didn't say it. <laughs> Charles Curtis said it. I'm sure. And I'm sure he sent it very mockingly about Hoover. Oh, yeah. Good times. Just it, was, it, it, was, it sounded like it was just an offhand comment in a conversation with somebody that got overheard by the wrong person. But I'm not sure because I couldn't figure out where it came from. When it was time for re-election, he actually lost. <laughs> Ho uh, Hoover won. <laughs> Uh, the nomination, not the presidency. He lost. But then they had to do a recount because he actually didn't have a clear majority or the other person. There was no no person had gotten up to 50 percent. So they had to do a recount. Pennsylvania flipped, as they did recently again. And so he became the VP nominate, nominee again. But they lost to FDR. And his term ended on March 4th, 1933. And a big reason the loss could have happened, at least for him, uh, the reason he didn't actually get the nomination, was because some World War I veterans marched to Washington because they wanted their pensions early. And he called in armed forces to fend them off. Oh, oh, I remember. I, this is another thing I heard about in history class. So, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he lost, but he uh, decided to go back into being a lawyer, and he stayed in Washington, D.C. He died of a heart attack on February 8th, uh, February 8th, 1936, at the age of 76. He is buried in the Topeka Cemetery next to his wife. When his gravesite was rededicated back during the Bush presidency, Cheney said that he was, quote, a champion of the farmer and an advocate for women's suffrage, as well as a supporter of legislation for citizenship of Native Americans, because he was... He was pushing for them to actually get granted citizenship. On the flip side of that, historian William Anaru says, quote, he used his Indianness when it was convenient for him in terms of what he was trying to achieve politically. But at the same time, he was also actively fighting to get any stereotypes erased about him because almost all of his colleagues were white. And so he was going left and right being like, yeah, you're going to think a new American's going to do this. Well, I'm not going to fucking do that because that's not what we do. So this guy is complicated. This reminds me of, oh God, the uh, Parks and Recreation. I can't remember. The Wamapoke Indian. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. It reminds me of him. He's like, like we just do this to fuck with white people. <laughs> <laughs> they, they always get scared when you say that there's a curse. <laughs> so like many people we cover, his legacy is complicated at best. He championed women's rights, and I do think he believed he was trying to fight for what was best for indigenous people. But even back then, the indigenous people were like, no thanks, we don't need that. Please stop. Please fucking stop. What he did has had ramifications throughout history, but it's also unclear on if he intended any of these consequences. One thing is for sure, though, and even if you like look at Native American sites where they're talking about him, they do address the fact that he did some fucked up shit. All of them are like, we need to stop pretending he didn't exist. We need to stop whitewashing history. We need to acknowledge the fact that there's been a Native American person as the vice president at this point. And yeah, he did some fucked up shit, but we can't not say, we can't say he wasn't there. And if you like look at any politician from that time, they did some fucked up shit, even like by today's standards, especially even by their standards. It's mm-hmm. so like, like I've said a billion times, there are no historical figures who are purely heroes and very few who are purely villains. And he's definitely not a pure hero. Nobody is. But he's also not a pure villain. At most, I'd say he's probably chaotic neutral. Yes. And that is Charles Curtis. Wow. It's like, we definitely should have learned about him Mm -hmm. in school. And it's, I am kind of angry I didn't. Mm -hmm. Kansas history books. Yeah, this is one of those I'm like... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't even make sense that I didn't learn about him in Oklahoma history because the act that he started and then got fucked up is why Oklahoma is a state. I mean, I'm sure they would have figured out a different way, but... I'm sure they'd rather be so proud of the white settlers who stole land and cheated to get there sooner. Hashtag Sooner State. I remember sitting there in fourth grade having to like reenact the those like Sooner shit. And I remember sitting there eating my lunch outside in my little prairie outfit that I was like... Thinking, why are we glorifying the cheaters? This seems really weird to me. I think that's like that defines Oklahoma so much. It's like, boy, we're so proud of these people that cheated. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm not a fan of Oklahoma. I'm not either. They stole my brother-in-law from me. (laughs) That's true. He does live there now. For me, it's a they stole four years of my happiness from me because I the stuff that Oklahomans said and did to me and to each other. There was one where it was. You know, if you convert to Christianity, this was said to a Jewish woman I know, then if you're ever shot at, the bullets will bounce off. That's very not true. It's very incorrect, yes. And I was also like, the reason I was bullied and the reason teachers allowed it is I wasn't a member of the local cult. And I don't mean that in a disparaging, I don't like Christians way, because I don't have a problem with Christians. This was a cult. Like, you, they're, they're still around. If you look on their website, it's like, oh shit, that's a cult. So, yeah. Sorry, Oklahoma, but also, yeah, I'm, I do. Sorry, I, not sorry. I actually know some Oklahomans who are perfectly lovely people. So it's, it's kind of a systemic thing, not an individual thing like a lot of stuff is. Yeah. Um, are you ready for some questions? Anyway? I'm ready for some questions. The first Native American vice president was from Kansas. 
Yes, that will be on the test. He pushed through legislation that proved catastrophic for the people he directly represented. Um, that won't be on the test in Kansas because that is our state motto. It's like, screw you all. Screw you all. I'm getting mine. Bills go through so many renovations that... Re- re- bills go through so many revisions that they can be unrecognizable by the time that they are completed. That would be a great addition to the Schoolhouse Rock song about bills. But yeah, I think that'll have to be on the test. It's, it should be, but it never has been. Yeah. We'll only ever learn about the final version. Uh, two dudes from Kansas put forth the first Equal Rights Bill, or Equal Rights Amendment Bill. That Yes, that should be on the test. Mm-hmm. And Charles Curtis went full rage monster to fight Hoover's nomination before taking the uh, vice presidential nomination. Yes, because that's just, it's delicious. It's just politics. We never learn about Mm -hmm. politics when we're learning about politicians. We learn about some like glorified West Wing version, but in reality, it's nothing like the West Wing. I still have never seen the West Wing. It's For the last four years, I keep saying, I want to watch the West Wing, and Austin keeps saying, no, it'll depress you too much right now. It's, I think the West Wing, I enjoy it, but it's ultimately a bad thing. I have, I have it's no like, context. It's just, this, it's just a glorified view of like idealistic politics, and they win, and it's nothing like reality, and it's kind of just like warp people's view. Speaking of nothing like reality, we have not talked about the Four Seasons <gasps> landscaping. I... I swear, it's like someone just took a page out of Veep uh-huh. and just slapped that it into- That was too wild even for Veep. Yeah. It's like, oh no, it's the four seasons. There was an adult bookstore in frame. Yeah. Um. There's a sex toy shop. There is a crematorium. Like, There's a check cashing place. Like- Stuff there's like... a to- there's a like toxic waste disposal sign visible while Giuliani was screaming something. Now, I am withholding judgment on the owners of the Four Seasons until they have made some kind of statement. They did? When did they? I haven't I, seen I it. I looked on their Facebook. They said in response to what's going on, it's like basically it's like it's like we, it's like we just we would have any if anyone wanted to use it, like give us free publicity, we were going to do it, buy our t-shirts and someone asked them how did this happen and their response was that gift from it's always sudden Philadelphia, where like he's trying to explain like the big conspiracy board. I have to look at this. Oh, it's it was crazy. <sighs> All right, guys, enjoy yourselves for a second while I look this up. Normally, I would vamp right now, but I think I'm just gonna cut this out. I don't know. You could vamp, see what happens. Blah blah blah. Oh shit, that's vamp. What? I was I was doing the an impression of a vampire. Were you going for the Count or Count Chocula? Both. <laughs> Pete Davidson. Look at Pete Davidson's lips. Oh, another thing. Well, we were really mad about uh, a stupid football game with Notre Notre Dame, which he's pronouncing it Notre Dame. Don't fucking do that. No, they are the worst school. I hate them so much. And they ended up delaying local news because their game went into double overtime. And then because that game went into double overtime, local news got delayed. And then because of that, Saturday Night Live was like an hour late. And we had to sit there watching local news while they were saying, it's like, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're going to get to Saturday Night Live. And then we got to see Dave Chappelle, and he was hilarious. And that is how you're not supposed to tell stories, but I did it anyway. Have you found it yet? Yeah, I found it. I had to put my glasses on. I'm old. Guys, I'm 34, and I just realized that I have to, like, when I'm on the computer, I have to zoom in to 200% to read anything. You told me 150 earlier. Is it getting worse? 
It depends on the website. Uh, Google Docs is 150. The average website is 175 or 200. It saddens us that we have received such harsh judgment in this election. What do you like? What do what, you think what, would what, happen? You... What did you think would happen? It's like I, I God, I hope it. It's like you should say it's like we this we thought this was fucking hilarious. Of course we were going to do this. That is the only correct. That response. would have been such a good response. Was yeah, we thought like we thought this was hilarious. We didn't it's like we thought this was a joke. <laughs> For those asking, here's a breakdown of how this all came about. Yeah, it's the guy with, like, it's not the aliens guy, but he's got the uh, the red strings and everything. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm I'm withholding judgment, though. Yeah, it's like, I'm willing to wait, for because this is too crazy for me to, like, have a snap judgment. It's kind of brilliant. Like, yeah. in a way, because, I mean, they did have to take one of those, you know, small business stimulus checks. Yeah. Like, that's public. That's all public information. They had to take it. So, yep. and, like, landscaping is low on the priority list right now. I mean, all of this seems, like, really super, like, slapstick almost. Yeah, honestly, like, I think even I would have allowed them to do it. And you know how liberal I am. Because I've been like, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's let's go. Let's go. And speaking of slapstick, I'm going to get started on my topic. You know, are slapsticks you... are real. Yeah. They're, like, almost like, they look like kind of like tuning forks, depending on the kind you have anyway. There's, like, ones that are one piece of wood and there are ones that are two pieces of wood, but you hit somebody with it and it makes a slapping noise. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about something that sounds like it should be hilarious, but in reality ends up being a complete and total bummer. Uh-huh. I'm going to talk about the Three Stooges. Yeah. So, I, like, you know, the Three Stooges are the, like, you know, just comedy, black and white comedy, like, trio, famous for their slapstick, their nonsense, their violence, and just general, just comedy. And... I thought they were funny. I loved them growing up. My dad loved them. I never got into them. That's actually the general theme is guys love the Three Stooges. Women tend to not like the Three Stooges. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's almost a joke at this point, but I thought they were funny. I was even watching some of their like old clips again while I was researching this because, you know, I'm, I'm a child. They're still funny. Like it's like 60 years later, these are still funny. 80 years later for some of them, actually. I mean... I find stuff from that time that is still funny. I just don't think like nothing but nonstop violence is very funny. But it that's not that's not me being judgmental. Mm-hmm. It's just not my t- that's not my cup of tea. Right. So let's talk about who the three Stooges were. I'm going to just go through like their a brief history of Stoogedom. Larry, Curly, and Mo. Yeah, uh, there was Mo, whose full name was actually Moses Harry Horowitz. His brother Shemp, mm-hmm. Samuel Horowitz. Yeah, I've heard like uh, you don't want to be the Shemp. Yeah. Oh, we'll get into Shemp, because anyway, uh, both of them uh, got their start in vaudeville, and they were actually, they started off doing blackface acts, Mm -hmm. which was not uncommon for the time. But then they joined a different vaudeville act with a childhood friend of theirs, uh, Ted Healy and his Stooges, who kind of invented this style of humor that they would, you know, embrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1922, they added a third member, uh, Larry uh, Lewis Feinberg, uh, joined in 1928. And uh, by the way, Larry was... So this a... is all happening while Charles Curtis is becoming vice president. Yeah, this is all happening at the same time. <laughs> Coincidence? Uh, Larry, not in addition to being a comedian, was a violinist and a boxer. Do you notice how many boxers also tend to have like very delicate kind of hobbies outside of that? Yeah. So yeah. And their act, this act with uh, Ted Healy more or less boiled down to uh, Healy would try to sing or do a comedy routine or do something. And his bumbling assistants, his stooges would uh, interrupt him with their antics and Healy would retaliate with verbal and slapstick physical abuse against them as they're like this vaudeville routine. And it was pretty successful. They were like, they made a lot of money. They got pretty famous doing this. And in 1930, uh, Healy and his Stooges starred in their first film, Soup to Nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bit of a flop. But the Stooges 
were gave a really memorable performance and the people actually liked them. So Fox Pictures offered them a contract without Healy. Oh, no. Uh, Healy was enraged by this and he told Fox to withdraw the contract because the Stooges were his employees, not independent workers. Uh, the Stooges heard about this, then promptly left to form their own group, uh, Howard, Fine, and Howard. Uh, this was not a tough decision for them because Healy was a drunk, abusive, and had a horrible temper. So, so they were it wasn't pretty that happy. much of an act. They were pretty happy to get away from him. So uh, their new te- their new act took off. It was still a live act at this point, mostly. And uh, but then Healy threatened to stop their act with lawsuits. He claimed that they were stealing his material and like their act was his act and they just stole it from him. And he also threatened to bomb any theater that they performed at. He was not arrested for any for making bomb threats at all. Uh, Shemp actually almost quit after these threats, but they gave him a pay raise. So he stayed back in. Yeah, I get that. Then in 1932, they ended up teaming up with Healy again, but this time with Mo acting as the business manager, not him because he was bad at it. Mm -hmm. And it started to work out pretty well. Then Healy um, fucked everything up again. So Shemp quit and went solo. (laughs) Shemp is the Beyonce of the Three Stooges because he actually had an incredibly successful solo career. Wow. That we don't hear about. He would actually, he'd play comedic roles and like supporting roles. He was like, he would show up as the funny guy and stuff. He's like, in like murder pictures, he'd be the comic relief. And he even played several like serious roles in dramatic parts where he was like a murderer. So Shemp wasn't his actual name. Shemp wasn't his na- actual name. Um, he, Shemp was a childhood nickname, I think based on his, uh, their mother was Latvia and uh Ashkenazi Jewish and she couldn't pronounce like a nickname that I think it was Sam so it's the, she called him Shemp because she couldn't pronounce Sam which is how he got that nickname okay yeah so uh so Shemp went solo and um down a stooge Mo suggested that they hire his other brother his younger brother Jerome Lester Horwitz Healy didn't think Jerry looked very funny because he had a, a long reddish hair and a handlebar mustache <laughs> So Jerry shaved his head and then that's how Curly, which was another, which was Jerry's childhood nickname. He used to be Babe, but then Shemp got married to a woman whose nickname was Babe. So they started calling him Curly because of his curly hair. Mm -hmm. But then he shaved his head and it just became even funnier to call him Curly. Uh, Also, Curly's exaggerated walk was to describe, was to disguise his limp because uh, at the age of 12, he accidentally shot himself in the ankle (laughs) with a gun and uh, Mo was actually the one who ended up saving his life by rushing to the hospital. So yeah, that's why he had that limp. That was, I didn't know that. I had somebody the other day tell me I must not know anything about guns when I said that gun safety is important. Yeah. I'm so like, kids, wait a second. So kids, don't be like Curly. Be safe with guns. But Austin, if you're telling people to be safe with guns, that must mean you don't know anything about guns. Clearly, yes. But they've had all the training, Austin. Then then a big part of that was safety training, which you're ignoring with everything you're saying. So those three worked with Healy for about another year before they fi- they finally parted ways professionally uh, because Healy was still an abusive drunk. Mm-hmm. Here's a tangent. Um, in 1937, Healy was brutally beaten to death in a bar. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, accounts of who did it, how it happened, like what happened afterwards, uh, very drastically. Even his cause of death is frequently contradicted by whatever medical examiner happened to look at it. Allegedly, MGM hired fixers and paid people off to cover up 
um, some other actors they th that might have been involved with beating him to death, or possibly with mob connections to Hollywood at the time, too. So we don't know who kill actually killed him or even, like, how it happened. Just there's so many varying accounts of what went down when he died. Like, isn't there just a chance he was being a dick to the wrong person? Yeah. Yeah, that is possible. Or he was also um, not managing his money very well and could have been in debt to the wrong people. Or he could have just run his mouth off and one last time and some people beat him to death. And this is like a fairly well-known Hollywood true crime story that I'm not going to go into. Mostly because it goes all over the place because there's so many accounts of what happened. And it all involves celebrities from a hundred years ago who I don't know who any of them are. So you're saying I should cover this. This would be a good you one because it would have way too much research. And also I know who these people are. Probably, yes. So yeah, tangent over. Yeah, Austin told me he was doing the Three Stooges and a lot of fucked up shit happened. And I'm like, let me tell you all about Judy Garland. Yeah, oh, this is, it's actually very similar to what happened to Judy Garland with the Stooges too. So the Stooges began their film career at Columbia. Uh, this lasted 23 years. Uh, they were, at first they were paid, uh, six, each of them were paid $600 a week, which was about- $600 a week? $600 a week. That's like better pay than all the people get now. Yeah, that was about uh, $11,500 adjusted for inflation. And uh, $7,500 per film divided between the three of them, which was about $150,000 adjusted for inflation. And the Stooges were an instant hit for Columbia. Uh, Columbia Pictures president Harry Cohn would actually uh, only- would refuse to sell people the Stooges shorts unless they would also buy several of the studio's B-movies to show along with them. So he was using them to sell bad movies. So Wolf Cop and the Three Stooges. Yeah, Wolf Cop and the Wolf Three Cop Stooges. Wolf Cop was, was awesome. Wolf Cop was good. But like, he would use the Stooges to sell other stuff that wasn't selling well and use them as a bargaining chip because they were so wildly successful. But Cohn made sure that the Stooges did not know how successful they were. Ugh. He kept them on a one-year contract that they would have to renegotiate every year. And he would be constantly saying, you know, the market for comedy shorts is drying out. I'm not sure we're going to be able to keep you on. So they, that's the dangers of not having your own agent. Oh, they did have their own manager. Uh, Harry Rom, who was a friend of Cohn's, who he said, oh, you should have this guy as your manager, Ugh. who was on the take with him. So he was getting like paid to make sure they didn't know how successful they were. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a rumor, it was even on their Wikipedia page, that they never received a pay raise. But that is contrary to what was actually in Mo Howard's biography. They would get raises, but they didn't. They were definitely not working at the value that someone who was producing hits like they would should have been working at. They were very underpaid for what they were doing. And they had a just intense filming schedule, putting out shorts. They were working 40 weeks a year. Mm -hmm. And they'd have 12 weeks off to do whatever they wanted with the family or pursue anything else outside of the studio. Mm -hmm. And they were like long, long shoots, very physical shoots, too. It was yeah. they worked their asses off. And uh, in the 1940s, the Stooges actually made one of their most controversial shorts. Are you ready for what they did that was so incredibly controversial? I don't know. They made fun of Hitler. That was, a, that was a thing. Yeah. Now, America was still neutral in the war at this point. And the film industry did not want to risk being excluded from the European markets and the German markets. They wanted to be able to sell their pictures to Germany still. And if they made Hitler mad, they wouldn't be able to tap into that market and make money. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what we do now with China. Mm -hmm. So the short was, you Nazi spy. Uh, in the short, they play three wallpaper hangers who are propped up as easily controllable dictators in the fictional, fictional country of Moronica. <laughs> Uh, now, Mo plays a very Hitler-esque role. Uh, he even mimics Hitler's hair by brushing it back. 
and he rubs his face and ends up putting a piece of tape underneath his nose to mimic his mustache. Uh-huh. And he even uh, does the the shouting and screaming and arm-waving stuff he does in his speeches, but speaking in Yiddish. <laughs> Because the Stooges were well aware of the Nazis' anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. and they were going to make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also, this was kind of forbidden by the unofficial, uh, self-imposed Hollywood uh, censorship guidelines called the Hayes Code. Mm-hmm. It for- prohibited people from doing this. They made it blatantly in the face of this and only got away with it because of them saying, oh, this was satire. Yeah. Um, Hitler did not like this. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hitler actually placed the Stooges on his personal death list. <laughs> the Stooges responded by making a second anti-Nazi <laughs> short called I'll Never Heil Again. Uh, this was like like years before, like months and months before America even entered the war. Also, um, Charlie Chaplin's uh, movie, The Great Dictator. Uh-huh is often credited as being the first, you know, piece of like, you know, American theater to go against Nazism. I was going to ask, yeah. It was not. This came out before that. Mm-hmm. But um the great dictator did start filming before they did, mm-hmm. but that was a full-length movie and they were doing a short, mm-hmm. so they just managed to get it out faster. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, Great Dictator, not the first piece of like, you know, anti-Nazi theater. That shit. So, uh during the war, the Stooges also made some horrifying anti-Japanese films that they did not age well at all. And some, there's like a lot of stereotypes in Stooge films that were acceptable at the time, but are still wrong. Much like, you know, with all the Warner Brothers stuff of the same, of the same ilk and Popeye and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, it's such a hard thing to talk about. Like as a teacher, you know, trying, trying to be like, okay, guys, this is stuff that was okay then, except it wasn't okay, except it was, and it's definitely not okay now. And like, it was publicly acceptable then. It wasn't right. Yeah, it's just it's a hard thing for young brains, including my own at the time, to process. Like, yeah, things to... could be okay, but now they aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like I guess probably the easy way to explain to kids was, you know, when you were little, it was okay to shit your pants in public. Yeah, nobody thought anything about it. In fact, some people probably thought it was kind of cute. But if you did it now, how would it end? Horribly mm-hmm. with crying, kind of like just as a, just like as a baby, but not cute crying. No. So uh, during the 1940s, uh, Curly's health began rapidly deteriorating. The blows to his head had produced produced uh, cerebral hemorrhages, mm-hmm. um, which was slowing him down and like you know just kind of make, making this him is not all think from, as clearly from their show. From their show, because um, you get, they tried to pull punches, but they were doing so much they couldn't yeah. really. So a lot of those blows to the head were real blows to the head. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, he also drank and ate too much. He ha- was gaining weight. He had high blood pressure. And again, because of like his all of this stuff, he was beginning to slow down. Um, in fact, he was like so much and like his he was not able to work as hard. Shemp actually had to come back to replace him at their live shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, Curly began forgetting his line and his physical decline became obvious in the films. So much so that they had to focus on the other stooges and just cut in like old footage and from other things for his like famous physical acts. Because he just couldn't do them as well anymore. Yeah. Um. If you're an, if you're a young theater person or young actor, and you're ever in a show and they're like, "Man, we don't have any stage combat training, and we have to have you do this fight scene," tell them to fuck off. If they're ever saying, "Just do the slap for real," tell them to fuck off. You do not, in any cases, have to agree to that, no matter what they tell you. And no one person can ruin your career. I know that's a little bit of an off-topic thing, but it really pisses me off because I still hear about it happening a lot, especially to high schoolers. Just slap them. It's fine. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, Cohn refused to give him a leave of absence 
or any time off of filming to recover. Nice. Yeah. Uh, in 1945, at age 42, Curly had his first major stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead of getting time to adequately recover, he was back at work within a month. Mm-hmm. His physical impairments made it tough to watch, and he was just even worse than he was before. Um, again, they started using more old footage and cutting together other shorts to make new ones. Uh, and the focus moved even more to the other Stooges who were reluctantly willing to do this in order to give like, you know, their partner time to hopefully recover and get better. Mm -hmm. And it worked for a little bit, not well. And in 1946, Curly had a second stroke that left him paralyzed and he was not able to recover from it and continue filming. Uh, Cohen did not, Cohen did not see this as a loss. He (laughs) thought anyone significantly silly looking could replace Curly. Not Jesus. fully understanding, like, the comedic interactions together. of this group was, like, important and hard to replace. Yeah. He didn't see that. Yeah. So, uh, Cohen used his influence to get Shemp back in filming with the Stooges. Now, Shemp had his own successful solo career at this point. He was over 50. He uh, was a fam- happy family man who did not want their arduous filming schedule and wanted to spend time with his family. Mm-hmm. And also, they wanted Shemp to take a 50% pay cut to do it. <laughs> so you have me do this thing that I don't want to do, and you're going to pay me half? Sign me up! Um, ultimately, his loyalty to his brother and friend made him say yes. Also, he, they w- he might have been a little bit intimidated by the mob connections with mm-hmm. the studio. Mm-hmm. So he said yes, but only until they had a permanent replacement. So Shemp filled in with them until his death at age 60 of a heart attack uh, in 1952. Sorry, in 1955. Uh-huh. Curly also had died in 1952. So the Stooges missing, you no, know, Moe missing his both of his brothers, uh, finally got a permanent replacement for Curly in a, in a gentleman called Joe Besser to replace him. But he was not a good fit. He didn't, like, really match the comedy. And um, he was wary about what had happened to Curly, so his contract forbid Moe from hitting him. Mm-hmm. So, like, he just didn't work out in the group. Mm-hmm. And they try- They were trying to basically capture lightning in the bottle with Curly and have him do Curly stuff, but he wasn't Curly. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't work out. So um, in 1957, when the short film market really started failing, um, they had been cutting together more and more like recycled shorts out of old footage. And the Stooges were just eventually they did not renew their contract and they were fired. Mm -hmm. This is when Mo found out about how much they didn't really been making (laughs) and how underpaid they really were. Uh huh. And it was just. He was pretty pissed off. <laughs> yeah. But uh, then they had a major renaissance after this because their old shorts were distributed on television as children's programming. <laughs> now, uh, I I'm can... assuming not the Hitler one. Yeah, even the Hitler one. Wow. Yeah. Just seven, well, probably not the Hitler one, but 78 of their fil- their short films were si- were syndicated on TV and people loved them again. Like, you know, parents who had grown up watching the Three Stooges were sharing them with their children. Uh, women still hated them. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was, they just, they took off on television and were a even bigger success than they were before. And now they knew it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, um, I couldn't find anything about if they were actually paid for the distribution of their old films. I'm willing to guess, no, they weren't because of the Kind of like what Dave record. Chappelle was saying during his opening monologue. Yeah. Like he's streaming on Netflix and HBO Max and he's not getting paid. Yep. But then he said that you should go watch it. So I don't know. 
So yeah, uh, they're also while they were like you know taking off on television, they were also one of the highest paid live acts in America in the '60s. Wow. Yeah, they were making tons of money. Uh, they filmed shorts and the uh, end shows with a new Joe, Joe Dorita, who was a better fit for them and was you know better with the physical comedy. Uh, they even actually had a cartoon show in the '60s. Yeah, I knew that. Where they uh, where they're animated, uh, which you know made sense because they were in their '60s at this point. Mm-hmm. And they weren't really able to do the physical comedy, but they could voice these characters doing their slapstick hijinks. Yeah. So it worked out great. Uh, in 1970, Larry suffered a stroke and retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, plan- and plans to replace him never really panned out. They started filming a new movie with a replacement from someone they'd worked with back in their short days, who was not like a stooge, but just like an actor. And they started filming, but it kind of fell apart. And it was allegedly a darker movie with more of a like a, a grittier Three Stooges reboot. <laughs> it never panned out. and uh, Kind of so- like how they're making a gritty Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And everybody's yeah. like, why? Yeah, this, they're trying to like do a gritty Three Stooges reboot with a new Larry and a new Curly. And why? Moe was still there. Uh, so yeah, uh, Larry died of complications from a stroke in 1975. And uh, Moe died from lung cancer or a few months later. They did not really receive any awards or recognitions for their work to speak of. Mm-hmm. Like, they got an MTV award in the 90s. I know, randomly. And they have a walk on the... Ho- a, they have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, everyone's got one of those. Donald Trump has one of those. Donald Trump has one of those. But they undeniably had a big impact on comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, The Simpsons, just like... Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura, just physical comedy in general. They really pioneered a ton of it and were just... They defined a lot of comedy for a lot of people, like, especially The Simpsons writers. All of them, like, stressed, like, the importance of the Three Stooges on their style and their comedy. Uh, and in my opinion, there's actually one show, uh, a modern show that compares very well to the Three Stooges, and that is Family Guy. I love Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Kind of irreverent humor uh, where they will sacrifice plot and able to make to make a joke about something in current events. They're oh, that's very funny. Witty. I love Family Guy and hate Three Stooges. You yeah. love Three Stooges and you don't like Family Guy. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Family Guy is really the closest comparison to the Three Stooges in modern television. And oh, also another thing is Michael Jackson, huge Three Stooges fan, and his moonwalk was actually based on a move Curly would do to kind of move backwards. Huh. So the moonwalk based on Curly. Moonwalk away. Moonwalk, moonwalk away. away. So yeah, those are the Three Stooges. I find them funny. You clearly don't. <laughs> I appreciate what they did for the form. Mm-hmm. And it's just, they had a long career that was, they transitioned from vaudeville to film to television with really not changing their act a lot. And it, it remained well, I mean, relevant. It sounds like they were smart and they knew like, I mean, other than the stuff that they were lied to about, they kind of could tell which way the wind was blowing. Mm-hmm. And they even kind of remained like a little bit like subversive and were like the, some of the first people to say, hey... We should be able to make fun of Hitler. But because... also, hey, let's let's say nasty stuff about Japanese people. Yeah. So it's not okay to be anti-Semitic, but it's okay to be super racist. Yeah. Complicated stuff. And again, I like the Three Stooges. I also watched some of their shorts while I was researching this. Just And I was still laughing at them. They're still funny. Maybe. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm laughing off and it's like, what's so funny? I'm like, murder. <laughs> I, and it's so funny. I was actually, it's like, haha, Stooges. Oh, there's a murder. But Stooges. Yeah. They, yeah. By by murder, I mean I was listening to a true crime podcast and they were funny. Oh, also another thing, uh, another thing they did. They had a really like I can't remember what it was called, but it was basically like George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion. Mm-hmm. But instead of like you know making you know Eliza Doolittle like presentable to society, someone was trying to make the Three Stooges presentable to society. Yeah, and just failing miserably, and I die laughing every time I see it. So are you ready for some questions about Three Stooges? Sure. All right. 
Will the fact they started their careers in blackface be on the test? Yeah. Will Ted Healy and his stooges be on the test? No. Will his murder be on the test? No. Uh, will that one of their biggest controversies in the career was making fun of the Nazis oh, be on yeah. the test? Oh, yeah. That'll be on the test. Uh, what about Shemp's successful solo career? No, because we like to make fun of Shemp for some reason. Well, it's it's because he wasn't curly. And there were some shorts where they tried to make him be curly, which that wasn't his style. He was like an improviser, like wisecracker type of guy, not a physical humor. I'm going to fall down and be this chump type of funny like Curly mm-hmm. was. And when he was doing his own thing and not trying to be curly, depending on who was directing, he was funny, but he just wasn't curly. You know, I'm always impressed with people who can do physical comedy really well. Like David Schwimmer, you would not know it. But when you're watching episodes of Friends where he does the physical comedy stuff. Pivot? Excellent. Pivot? Well, like the one where he's meeting Elizabeth's father and he has to like get himself into a... um like a bedside table or when he has to like crawl behind his ex's couch while she's making out with somebody because he wanted his salmon shirt back. Like he's excellent at physical comedy and he's like underrated for it. Yeah. And will their wildly successful live performances be on the show on the, on the test? Probably. Yeah. So yeah, that was the three stooges. Like I know we, I know why we don't learn about them in school, but they really shaped a lot of comedy and television and arguably were the first sitcom. I mean, I was a theater major and it would have made sense for us to at least learn a little bit about them, but we didn't. Oh, three stooges. I, I love them. And I decided I was going to talk about them because this was a long week. He's been wanting to talk about them for a long time. It's true. The, it's like the, the weird like mixture of comedy and tragedy and just how they slam into each other like true cha- trains hitting each other, which, you know, is also a tragedy, but really cool. <laughs> that actually used to be a thing that people would do. I know. And that killed a bunch of people in a town in Texas. Yeah. Because for some reason they thought that trains hitting each other wouldn't produce shrapnel. What? It's crazy talk. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's another thing. I like came the second closest I've ever come to getting hit by a train this week. Second closest? Yeah. So this week, so when I was a kid, I knelt onto a sewing needle that I had dropped and it went into my kneecap and broke off. I had to get part of my kneecap removed. It's a whole thing. And yes, there is an episode of Sex Sent Me to the ER that has that happen. That was not me. That was an adult man, not an eight-year-old. Well, I'm walking and then this, the train stuff starts happening. I looked both ways. I didn't see a train, but the train like burr, burr, burr starts happening. So I'm like, oh shit. So I start to jog and my knee fucking buckled underneath me. So yeah, I almost died this week. I'm glad you didn't die this week. That would have just made this week completely awful. Yeah. Like, all, all of the paperwork I'd have to do. Ugh. Yeah. And you don't even have all my information. You don't know who to contact at my work. Yeah. You don't have my phone passcode, so you couldn't even get in there and try to find anybody. I'd have to like... I'd have to like sneak into the like the funeral parlor and like put your thumb on the thumbprint reader and like hope you're like hope that worked. That's just thing I've been thinking about. I'm like, dude, we should probably know each other's information in case one of us dies. Wow, that's good. <laughs> that's probably important. We should do that. <laughs> All right, so just you know, my phone passcode. <laughs> oh God. So yeah. Um... I think that's it for this week. That is. Well, I hope you guys had a better week than you were expecting it to be. Yeah, I hope you all are in a good place. You had some good wine or something this week. And I hope you're all staying safe out there. Make good choices. If you're like trying to book something at the Four Seasons, make sure you're getting the hotel, not a landscaping service. Unless you need some landscaping done. I know. It's like, oh my God. Can you imagine if it had been the other way around? It's like, I need someone to mow my lawn. And then like some caterers show up when they've got canapes and you're like, oh. God damn it. I still feel like somebody must have called the wrong place and they just went, they just rolled with it. I think so. I think someone's like, yeah, you can use our space. 
Yeah. It's like, we would have done it for either side. I'm like, I bet that's true. But I bet you never thought you would have to. So where can people find us? Well, they can find us on Twitter at On The Test Pod, on Instagram at On The Test Pod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash On The Test Pod, and our website on the test on our website, onthetestpod.com. And we are also on every podcast provider that I can think of. We could really use some more ratings and reviews on iTunes. I think we're still at nine. We are, and it's been months. Come on, guys. It's like, on. You're, it's like we're still under lockdown. Things are getting worse. What else are you doing? What else are you doing? <laughs> other, I... than pa- other than blindly panicking like us. Hey, I still thought to find my old iPhones and charge them up and rate some podcasts. But not our own. We're not monsters. No. And I also don't rate anybody if I'm going to give them a bad review because that's unnecessary. Now, if they were like, Nazis are good, I'd be like, zero stars. But I can't think of another reason I would. You're working really hard. Pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. Go fuck yourself. There we go. That is our, I think that's our most controversial opinion is pineapple is good on pizza. I love pineapple on pizza. Not as good as jalapenos on pizza. We, I think we just lost a listener every time we say that. Every time we say pineapple pizza, an angel loses its wings and falls to the earth. <sighs> oh, man. So, yeah, um, have a great week, everybody. And hopefully we all survive until the next one. Make sure you watch some good classic horror movies. If you see any this week, tweet at us. Let us know at On The Test Pod because we're always looking for new horror movies to yeah, watch. If there's something you think we should watch or talk about or anything, let us know. Yeah, we like talking to people. No, Mostly. We like talking to people when we don't actually have to speak to them out loud. So Yeah, that's true. I have, uh, oh, man, I went to a online conference last week and I got to talk to strangers for the first time oh. since March. It was weird. I went outside today and saw one of our neighbors who I genuinely like. And I was like, can I go back inside? Because I don't know how to speak to humans anymore. Yeah, we've gone feral. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. I'm like, I really like our neighbor. And I'm like, what is that? What is it? Person. You, what I, is the small one? You 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 hissed and like fled away and hid under a rock. I actually did manage to wave and say hello and ask how they were. Aw. You, you remembered. But they were busy. They were playing with lightsabers. Fun. I know. Well, I guess we have no on that note this week. Yeah, we've just been going on and on. So I guess on that note, class class dismissed. dismissed.